Welcome to NACE Clinical Highlights. I'm Dr. Greg Sherman, Chief Medical Officer at NACE. This is the first episode in a two-part series on recent updates in the diagnosis and management of parigonodularis. Joining me is Dr. Sean Quatra. Dr. Quatra is an Associate Professor of Dermatology and Oncology and Director of the Johns Hopkins Itch Center at the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine in Baltimore, Maryland. So glad you could join me today, Sean. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, Sean, in this podcast, we're going to review presentation and diagnosis of parigonodularis, a condition that many of our colleagues listening may not be so aware of. And in our second podcast, we'll move on and discuss the pathophysiology of parigonodularis and strategies for our colleagues to individualize management of the condition. So, as I said, since it's probably something people are not that familiar with, let's start with the basics. What is parigonodularis and how does it manifest in our patients? Parigonodularis has been overlooked for quite a long period of time. So let's get right down to the basics. Parigonodularis is a chronic inflammatory skin disease, and it's characterized by numerous uh, firm hyperkeratotic skin nodules. So there's many of these firm nodules all over the skin. So usually on at least two body areas or more. When we asked patients and evaluated them to see where the nodules most frequently appear, uh, they usually manifest on the extremities, so the arms, the legs, areas that are accessible to be scratched, and the trunk as well. But parigonodularis is characterized by uh, these skin nodules that are on the skin. The itch of parigonodularis can be very severe. So when numerous studies have looked the itch intensity of parigonodularis compared to other skin diseases like atopic dermatitis or psoriasis, parigonodularis uh, usually tends to be the itchiest disease uh, that we see. And patients can have you know, repetitive scratching and these hemorrhagic crusts. Folks uh, will oftentimes uh, also endorse pain, burning, other sensations. What's also interesting about parigonodularis is the disease presentation can be very heterogeneous. So some of the nodules are several centimeters, two to three centimeters in size. Oftentimes in African-Americans, they can be a little bit larger and fibrotic, and it can also be smaller. So some of these lesions can be just a few millimeters. So the way we diagnose it is, are there skin lesions that are present that are usually these firm nodules? and have folks had chronic itch for six weeks or longer, and then signs of scratching. So actually a lot of folks fit into this diagnosis. Sean, I think that's helpful. And in listening to, I'm sure that I've seen patients and didn't know what I was seeing. So I wonder for our colleagues listening, how common really is it? And are there any particular patient types that are more likely to be affected? Are there racial or ethnic differences to be aware of? It's a great question. And actually, we weren't even able to track this disease before 2015. And that's because in 2015, parigonodularis got its own unique diagnostic code or ICD-10 code. And what's been interesting is, you know, my group and others have been doing studies on how common this disease is. And it initially looked like it was uh, falling into a rare disease category, so less than 200,000 per year. Uh, one of our first estimates was around 72 per 100,000. 
But then every year, as time goes by, I think awareness is improving and increasing. And some of our latest estimates have been even over 300,000. And I honestly think it's way higher than that. So Prigon Agilaris is seeing you guys, the listeners. It's definitely seeing you, Greg. So now we want folks to be able to recognize the disease to point them to a great treatment. There are some racial and ethnic differences in the disease. When we looked uh, at patients uh, in our health system, also we found that in particular African-Americans seem to be at a higher risk of the disease as well as Asian patients. And my laboratory actually performed the four first genetic susceptibility, um, the really global exome sequencing study. And we found that actually African and Asian uh, folks that have that ancestry are more likely to even develop the disease as well to have these nodules. And sometimes they can actually be uh, dark, the lesions can be uh, darker, so have more post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation. And uh, like I said before, they can be larger and sometimes more fibrotic as well. So it's just really important to understand how the disease can sometimes present differently. I think that's really helpful and it really helps put it in perspective. So speaking about the impacts of prigonodularis, we are fortunate to have a real patient to discuss her experience with prigonodularis, and I want to introduce you all to Tawana. So Tawana, can you share with our listeners a little bit about your journey with prigonodularis, really from the onset of your symptoms till you got diagnosed and the impact it had on your life for those clinicians that may not be so familiar with it? Yes, thanks, Greg, for having me. Uh, so my journey with prigonodularis started in September 2021 when I started to experience an absolute extreme itching. It wasn't a normal scratching and it was kind of presenting itself with various areas all over my body um that went on for quite a while and then about a week later i started to notice these dark circles um which are now i know as nodules that would just appear on specific areas um it mostly appeared on my knees profusely on the fronts of my legs all over the backs of my arms and all over my back and the scratching was unbelievable um, almost to the point of I, I couldn't even function because I was scratching so often and so much. Um, there were times I would scratch and I would think that I would break my skin because the itching was, it was almost like chicken pox on steroids. It was incredibly itchy. Um, so I began to get a little worried because these nodules were appearing more often and they started as almost like scabs. Like um, they, you could almost scratch the scabs off if you scratch too hard. So I started to worry and decided to reach out to my PCP, who then immediately referred me to dermatology at Johns Hopkins. I met with a doctor there who evaluated me, and he wasn't quite sure what it was. Um, he sent me for multiple labs and testing, and that, so thinking that maybe that would be a way for us to get some type of a clue as to what this was, but um, all of the labs came back negative. Um, he then referred me um, he then referred me to an additional dermatologist, another level dermatologist at Johns Hopkins, who also sent me for a rash of tests. Now, let me tell you, the tests that they were actually sending me for uh, made me even more afraid. They were sending me for labs for um, hepatitis. They were sending me for labs for um, lymphoma. They also sent me for labs for HIV. So to hear these words, hear these acronyms, hear these um, types of diseases, put even more fear in me. 
all of the labs eventually came back negatively and negative. And so then they referred me finally after several months. Um, I got referred to Dr. Quartra. Um, so that was really exciting to be able to speak with him and, and, and meet with him. And he was able to do a full evaluation, speak with his um, fellow colleagues, and then he came back and finally gave me my diagnosis. When I was diagnosed, it was August 2022. So almost a full year. It was 11 months before I got diagnosed. And when he came into the room and he said the words, parigo nodularis, I don't even know if I heard him. Because for 11 months of not knowing what this was and then finally getting a name to it, it was full relief. If you don't know what your, what your, what your diagnosis is, how can you create a plan to fix it? Um, so it was really, really incredibly, uh, I had a lot of anxiety from all of these labs. I had a lot of anxiety of not knowing what this was. So when Dr. Quartra finally gave it a name, it gave me a little bit of relief. Even though we had a new plan, we had to create a new plan to figure out how to treat it. But it did give me a, a bit of a relief. A couple of things that also took place while I was dealing with this was having this disease and having it all over my body and, and, and luckily not presenting on my face um, was still hard for me. I changed the way I dressed. I changed the way some of the activities I, I exhibited and I wanted to experience by going to the beach and wearing um, skirts um, is also made it difficult for dating because when you decide to get into an intimate relationship, you have to explain what this is. So um, it had a huge impact on my life and adjusted the way I felt about myself and the way that I dealt with the disease. But finally, when I got the um, diagnosis to let me know what this was, Dr. Quarter was incredibly, incredibly wonderful about working with me on creating a plan so that we can figure out how to treat this disease. Tawana, I'm so grateful that you were able to join us today and share your story. And I'm, I'm glad finally you were able to get to a diagnosis. We'll learn more from you in our second podcast about how that's impacted you since. But thank you so much for sharing that with us today. Thank you, Greg. Sean, as Tawana clearly states, this has really been very impactful on her quality of life. And I wonder, as having known Tawana, or then is there any other impact on patients' life that you think our clinicians listening should be aware of? Absolutely. You know, we're so lucky that we're able to Tawana about her story and, you know, being a, a provider and hearing all sorts of stories from patients uh, really uh, has provided me with a lot of empathy to understand how this disease can be ravaging folks' quality of life. And so our group actually did a study to see, well, how severe is the impact on quality of life? And what we found is that pregnogelaris uh, patients not only have a higher uh, disruption of quality of life compared to other skin diseases like psoriasis and atopic dermatitis, but actually compared to many of the uh, systemic conditions that primary care providers treat and have come across like congestive heart failure, type 2 diabetes, even having a stroke. When we did validated questionnaires, pregnogelaris patients had a greater impact on their disease, uh, on their quality of life than many of these other conditions. So pregnogelaris uh, can be described as having an extremely severe impact on quality of life. I think folks may not appreciate that because itch has not yet ascended to the same level of respect as 
disorders associated with pain. But I'll remind folks that, you know, itch is actually one of the rings of hell in Dante's Inferno. And it truly is a miserable space to be in. And if you think about itchy disorders, parichinagularis is um, arguably the worst and most itchiest disease uh, that there is. So there's a lot of empathy, but there's not just the itch that causes sleep disturbance and psychosocial distress, but it's also the appearance of these nodules, just like Tawana was saying, that can interfere with having relationships as well. So that's why it's a, a double whammy as well. So um, I, I think overall, it, it's really underappreciated the quality of life, but hopefully um, podcasts and other uh, great and medical education forums like this can shine a light on the disease. Sean, thanks for helping to pull that together. So should our colleagues be considering other diseases associated with pregnodularis as they're evaluating these patients that may clue them to the diagnosis? So it is important to, in the first evaluation of a pregnodularis patient, to do a basic workup. So uh, there are some diseases that tend to be more common with pregnodularis. The way I explain it to folks is that our group recently had a discovery that there's a genetic susceptibility to developing these skin nodules versus just itching on normal appearing skin. So just the way you might think about a folk, uh, someone who's chronically itchy, you should think about someone who has pregnodularis. You want to make sure that some of these common diseases like liver diseases, kidney diseases, uh, that those are ruled out. So in particular, looking at liver uh, and renal function are very important. Other things that we do at initial workup is also looking at thyroid function and diabetes. And then in certain situations, based on risk factors, it could be reasonable to do an HIV or hepatitis workup. Also, if it's very new onset, and especially so if there are other symptoms uh, like fevers, chills, uh, or night sweats, then you may consider uh, a malignancy as well. So those are important things to consider. And I'd like to emphasize this is a clinical diagnosis. So if you just have you know, skin lesions, chronic itch over six weeks, uh, that, that fits the bill for a diagnosis of uh, pregnodularis. There are other skin diseases that uh, can actually mimic and, and look similar, but that might be a little bit more of a complex uh, patient that you may have also evaluated by dermatology. So let me just follow that up with just uh, one more clarification. Are there any specific guidelines that support a particular diagnostic protocol for our colleagues that are seeing patients with this kind of severe itch? Yeah, so we had a um, U.S. expert consensus uh, that said that folks should have uh, hepatitis and renal function testing in addition to a complete blood count and thyroid testing as an initial screen for these patients. Okay. And then if we have the right clinical condition and um, laboratory don't give us any other explanation, then we should heighten our suspicion for PN and consider referral. Well, I think that PN can present in association with these diseases. So it's just important to identify them if they're present, because if you have concomitant liver or renal disease, you want to make sure to address that. And that could also help with the disease. So that's why it's important to do that workup. Is there a role for biopsy in evaluating these patients? Less commonly, because it is a clinical diagnosis. And actually, if you do a biopsy, uh, it can be incredibly nonspecific because 
of the heterogeneity I spoke about with these lesions. I've actually seen many patients have biopsies performed and the biopsies show uh, be misread as skin cancers, be misread as other types of disorders. So in general, they should be a clinical diagnosis. Okay. Um, any final points that you want to share with our colleagues about these patients and how to best find them in their practice? Yeah, so I, I think it's just important that uh, folks, when someone comes in and folks are complaining about chronic itch, that you take a, a quick look at the upper and lower extremities, the torso, and see if you see any types of bumps or papules, or nodules that are raised. And really, that's enough. Chronic itch for at least six weeks. Um, and then these uh, nodules and any signs of scratching. So oftentimes, if someone's uncontrolled, they'll be uh, bleeding a little bit or have a hemorrhagic crust on them. Well, Sean, we're out of time for today, but I want to really thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me and share your expertise with our audience on the burdensome nature of prygonodularis and some of the challenges that can occur when diagnosing and really how to diagnose those patients. And thank you so much for all the information you've shared today. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. And Tawana, I want to thank you also for sharing your story with our learners and hopefully you've inspired them to find their pa the patients in their practice as well that might have PN and get them to the right place. Thank you so much. I'm happy to share my story. If you're interested in learning more about recent developments in the management of parigonodularis, join us for the second part of my discussion with Dr. Sean Quatra titled Breaking the Itch Scratch Cycle Immunotherapies for Parigonodularis. You can also go to the NACE website at NACE Online and register for any of our other enduring activities on parigonodularis, atopic dermatitis, or any other program we've developed. Please like us on Facebook at NACE CME to be part of our online social media community and get access to other content and programs we share. And finally, I want to thank your audience for joining us for this podcast. I hope you've learned something new you can bring back to your practice. We look forward to having you join us for other upcoming podcasts in the future.